you pull out a lot of psychological tools as a manager. And if you limit yourself to just that very blunt instrument of do it or I'll fire you, you'll have people who are afraid. Hi, everybody. I'm Katina McHenry. Thank you for joining us again today on another episode of Fuck Fear, the podcast where we learn to let go of our fears so that we can live openly and live more freely and more peacefully. My guest today is Dr. Christy Losher. I work with her at the University of Texas and the McComb School of Business. She is a senior lecturer there in the management department and she teaches undergraduate and also MBA level classes in management organizational change, human resources, and healthcare systems. Hi, Christy. It's so great to see you and reconnect with you. It's been a while. How are you doing? We're great. We're great. And it's so nice to see you, Katenia. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, absolutely. So today we're talking about fear in management and in the workplace. But I start every podcast with one question, Christy, and it is, what are you afraid of? Uh, great question. In the workplace, my biggest fear is failure. Mm. So someone who, um, either a boss who makes me feel like a failure or who is a punishing type of boss, that's my greatest fear because failure is the thing that I am that 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 I have nightmares about. Yeah, that's a huge one. I think that's another episode too. It's just fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a poster child for that one. <laughs> we'll have to circle back on that. Well, Christy uh, teaches, of course, MBA classes and undergraduate classes and, and a, a variety of topics. And of course, today's topic is about management. And Christy, you do um, a presentation, which is called Power Versus Performance. And it's really teaching leadership skills and management skills. But I think a lot of people don't or decide to do or not do certain things in the workplace because they are afraid of what management is going to do to them or what their boss is going to do to them. So can you talk a little bit about um, what you highlight in your, in your presentation, power versus performance? Okay. So what I'm trying to do in, in this, I'm talking from the perspective of training the new managers and the new leaders. And what I tell them is that you have a number of sources of your power. Like when you're an authority, you have a number of sources of power. The power sources you use are going to shape how good your employees feel about their job, about themselves and about you. And my mantra to my students is that people do better when they feel better. And that everything you do as a manager should be identifying how can I help my employees feel better? and make sure I identify if I'm making them feel bad, right? So when you look at sources of power, there are five main sources that, that give a manager their power. The first is the easy one, the legitimate power. This is the power of position. So this is the power you get with your title and with your ability to hire and fire people. And what I, what I see in, in management situations, when I see frightened employees, it's typically correlated with leaders who only know their legitimate power. They have, a, they have one stick and they use it. Do this or I'll fire you. Do this or you'll get reported. Do this and you'll get your paycheck doc. You know, they only have that, that they only use that power of position to try to get people to do what they want them to do. Because that's what managers are supposed to do. Managers are supposed to get you to do what the organization needs done. And uh, so it's all about 
you know, coercion, manipulation, and uh, motivation. It's, you know, you, you pull out a lot of psychological tools as a manager. And if you limit yourself to just that very blunt instrument of do it or I'll fire you, you'll have people who are afraid and they won't work for you very long. In fact, I had an experience, I had an internship and when I was in grad school where I had an experience like this with a boss that that's all that came out of his mouth. Either you did, you did okay, or this was a horrible job and he wants to fire you. Mm -hmm. And I lasted three months. It was, I had a three month, I think I had a four month internship and I lasted three and called my school and got out of it, got out of the last month. Um, and after three months, I was a senior employee. I was like, had been there longer than half the people in the office because wow. this guy had such a high turnover rate because of the way he interacted with people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we'd be crying. I mean, people would be crying in the office on a daily basis. God. It was awful. And, and it was purely because this is the only tool that this manager used. Yeah. So let's look at some of the other tools that are more positive. Okay. Yeah. So the two most positive tools are expert power and uh, referent power. Expert power is your power of your knowledge, the things you know about, the things you know how to do. And uh, referent power is the power of relationships. Um, people, when you have high referent power, people do things for you because they like you and they do things for you because they want you to like them. Okay. And uh, I, I call it the power of the high school cheerleader. Right. <laughs> so um, expert and referent power, research has shown that managers who focus on using these two power sources have more productive followers, have uh, uh, less uh, turnover, and have higher employees report higher job satisfaction. Yeah. So it's not that these people who use expert and referent can't hire and fire, they can, but they just don't use that. That's the tool that stays under their desk unless they really need it, right? Mm -hmm. That the tool, the that they're using to interact with people is, hey, can I help you with that? Here's what worked in the past. And, oh, you know, you're doing a great job. And um, I really appreciate that, uh, that I can rely on you for, for, this, for this work. You know, those kinds of interactions where you're really working on the relationship and you're sharing your expertise, that's where you can really build positive connections in a positive workplace. Do you think managers are aware of their different forms of power, their sources of power? And second question, if they do recognize their sources of power, do you think they use that in a way to control people and control oh, yes. their employees? Yeah. Well, I think whether you're uh, consciously aware of your sources of power or not, when you're in a management position, you are using every tool you have, influence tool you have in your toolbox. They may think of it more like influence because power is kind of the macro idea. And then within each source of power, you've got influence tactics that go along with those sources of power. And so they're using tactics and, uh, and their tactics, if they're narrowly um, underneath that legitimate, you know, I'm going to hit you over the head, or I'm going to maybe say that was okay, you know, that that, that I'm, you're not going to get a lot of positive feedback from me, you're just going to fear the negative. Yeah, you know, then I'm using a very narrow number of tactics. And um, I may have the ability to use expert or referent, but I you have to build those, right? You can't just walk in one day and, and say, this is what I'm going to do, you have to build that. So it's why when I start a class, I don't start the first, we had the first day of class today and I don't stand up there the first day of class and say, hi, I'm your teacher. I can give you an F if I want to. 
know, I start out and I talk about my background and my expertise and my letters after my name. And, um, and then I start building relationship. Mm-hmm. I talk about um, how I hope this class will help them. And I ask them, you know, what do you want out of this class? What value would you find? And we start having a relationship and it takes time. And it, um, but at the end, I'm going to have students who will do what I ask them to do or employees who will do them, do what I ask them to do. And they will feel good about doing it. You know, think back to the Tom Sawyer, the old Tom Sawyer uh, book where he's painting the fence and he really doesn't want to. And then his friends come up and he pretends like painting the fence is the best thing ever. And by the end of the chapter, he has his friends paying him to let them paint the fence. That's good management, right? You get people what you want them to do and they're happy doing it. (laughs) It's a little bit of manipulation too. (laughs) Oh, it is. Management is manipulation. That's what management is. And that's why I always teach ethics along with management because you can't separate the two because having power creates the opportunity to hurt people and creates the opportunity to do bad things. Right. And it also gives you the ability to do great things and to cause um, and to and to make the world a better place. But um, you need to understand to be able to recognize ethical versus unethical behavior. Because once you understand the tools and techniques of management, you've got a lot of ability. You know, you know what we've seen in, in politics, the ability of a charismatic leader to make people do bad things. Mm-hmm. We saw that in um, the attack on the Capitol. Yeah. You yeah. know, and um, you've got to be able to recognize. And of course, there's lots of examples through through history, you know, being able to recognize the Hitlers, being able to recognize the Jim Jones, you know, being able to recognize these people, the David Koresh, the the charismatic leaders, because charismatic leadership works because it's all about creating the relationship with your followers. Right. And um, you have to be able and skilled in identifying the unethical charismatic. And what I always tell my students is the first thing you look for is who are they out for? Mm-hmm. Are they doing what they're doing for the betterment of society or for, for their employees, or are they doing it for themselves? Yeah. And when you find self-centered use of charismatic power, that's the most dangerous and the, and the one that um, you really have to be uh, diligent about um, stopping and, and, or, and or quitting and or not working for it, not helping it. Right. Right. Not enabling it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the right word enabling. Right. Yeah. And we've seen, I mean, obviously we've seen it time and time again, we've seen it recently. I think we've all had jobs where we cry before we go into the building. I had a job like that after three years, I hated it, but I had to stay in it until I moved to my next job. Mm-hmm. But I cried every day. I sat in the parking lot and I cried every day. My first job out of college, I remember my manager, my news director, would scream at me every single day about my story, every day. And it was horrible. Like who wants to be screamed at? But I was like 21, 22. And um, yeah, it, it was not a good working environment. And, and that really helps transition to the other um, item I wanted to talk about, and that's bullying. Yes. Because, um, you know, people who break laws, right, and discriminate or um, harass women or do things like that, you know, HR will deal with them and you can report them to HR. You can file a complaint with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, but people who are bullies are much harder to recognize and stop because they will single out individuals for abuse. Mm -hmm. They won't abuse all women. They'll just abuse you. Right. Right. And, uh, And that bullying behavior is one of the most 
um, difficult to address as an employee and can create this living in living in fear, this crying on the way to work every day. Um, it's it's a it and oftentimes if you go to HR and complain about the person, they haven't broken any laws, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. one of the things that um, the new presidential administration under Joe Biden will hopefully pick up because Obama, when he was president, had wanted to introduce legislation, anti-bullying legislation into labor law and never got the opportunity. So hopefully that'll be on Joe Biden's uh, agenda. But for right now, if you feel you're, you know, you have a manager who's treating you the way you're screaming at you, the way your manager did with you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's really important to first get some help for yourself and get some support. Um, and if your company has an employee assistance program, you go and you start having someone who can be your, can be your sounding board for what's going on so that it doesn't feel like it's all in your head. You can right. get it outside and name it as an external thing. Right. And then it is important to tell HR what's going on, understanding they may or may not be supportive. Um, There may or may not be rules in the personnel manual to help you. And then you have to start, you have to be willing to leave. You have to go, you know, start getting your resume out and find another place. Because if HR won't help you um, with the bully, you've got to, you've got to move because there's no way you can stay healthy in those kinds of situations. Right. Well, and one of the bully's main tactics is fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how they maintain control. That's how they maintain manipulation is by by their tactics of fear. And exactly. so when they realize they have punctured an emotion in you, they just keep going. It, I mean, and the only way they have power, um, you know, to make you afraid is because of their position, right? right. Um, and in some cases, they can they can control based on people's um, lack of comfort with conflict. If they're willing to be in your face and be angry and, you know, a lot of people get their way uh, um, by being that aggressive personality type that is very um, in your face and mm-hmm. uh, raises the voice and uses swear words and, you know, like, and screams at you like your boss did. And um, what's really important with that, if you're a peer with that person, uh, not reporting. If you're reporting to them, you're, you, you know, you've pretty much just got to find another job. But if you're a peer with that person, you are really called to stop that behavior working. Right. Yeah. So I had a colleague who in, would engage in this. And I finally just said, you engage in this behavior. I walk out the meeting because once I walk out, then everybody else can walk out. Right. And because, because this person had everybody so scared and um, I was like, no, we're not going to have this kind of environment. And um, I was a peer with this person, so they didn't have any power over my job. And but I could be an advocate for the people she was abusing. Right. right? How can employees recognize their own power and their own strength and 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 an extension of that their own rights? How can they recognize that? Because I think many times people don't know if they can't speak out or they fear there's some, there's going to be some retaliation if they do speak out. So how should employees empower themselves to not let fear keep them from speaking up and, or making a decision to just leave that position and leave that job? Right. Right. So I think having that recognition that what I'm feeling is fear 
you know, I, I think we label it a lot of things. Oh, this person makes me uncomfortable mm-hmm. or, oh, you know, that's just the way they are. They just scream at everybody. And we try to make that okay. We try to norm it. And I think what's really important is to call, to name it, to say, hey, this person is using fear to control me. Mm-hmm. And do I want to spend my life that way? I don't think so. And then um, I think it's really important to get support and to have that sounding board. And most of us really, um, most of our spouses or our parents or the people we, friends, um, either, you know, that those aren't really the right people to come to with this type of problem. You can vent to them, but um, helping you really understand the psychology of, of the control that's happening and how best to support yourself and when to, you know, how to create your own voice and, and empower your own voice and to speak back. Because um, it's interesting. Now, I haven't found this with all bullies, but I, with one bully I worked with, I stood up to them. I was terrified. I didn't sleep the whole night before. And they were asking me to fudge some, I was an analyst early in my career, and they were asking me to fudge some numbers on a report. And, and I just said, oh, I can't. And this person was very much like the typical bully would really just yell at you. And, um, and, and he thought I was too big for my britches because I went to a fancy college and thought mm-hmm. I was all that. So he was always on me. And, um, and so I stayed up all night, worried about it, went in the next day and told him no. And why? And I just was very calm. And I said, I won't do this. Here's why you'll need to give it to another analyst if you want this done that way. And he said, well, okay. And that was all he did. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I lost a whole night of sleep over that. <laughs> so I was in, you know, my stomach was in knots and yeah. that's it. <laughs> Sometimes standing up to the bully works. Sometimes it makes them worse. Sometimes they will, they will then just be more attacking. And, and so you've got to kind of try it, but you want to have support. You want to have support in your corner and, uh, and, you know, having a psychologist or a social worker or someone from your, from your employee assistance program to talk through your tactics with and um, your game plan, and then be somebody can be a sounding board afterwards. Did it work? Did it not work? Right. Right. Because sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And that's going to be a really big indicator on whether you're going to be able to save that job or not. Yeah. But nobody should live in fear. And if you're going in, you have to pay attention. Um, Because I think we're like that Chinese uh, proverb of the frog in the water, that if you put a frog, if you try to put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in lukewarm water and then gradually turn up the heat, it'll stay in there till it boils. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a boiled frog. Right. Jump uh, out, you guys. Jump jump out. out. (laughs) And that's another thing that that getting, um, having a sounding board, a professional sounding board, someone who's trained and knows some of these psychological tools and tactics that are used um, to control people. And they understand them and they understand how to help a person under, you know, talk through to a person what what those tactics are, why they're doing it, and then how to respond. Right. So we were talking about bullying. um, And there have been uh, several things that have come to uh, the public's light. There was a BuzzFeed article in July 2020 that focused on it was an expose basically on the Ellen DeGeneres show where employees complained about um, a toxic 
environment, toxic behavior from the managers, and they went to HR. There was a, a, um, a lot of um, microaggression behavior in the work environment, and that just brought to light how often it happens and how often employees are afraid to say something. And, you know, from there, there a, a lot of things happened. You know, Ellen came out and said how sorry she was about what was happening and, and she wasn't aware of what was happening. But I think that that expose got people talking about um, not, not only how bad some environments are, but how employees should be more empowered to speak out about things that are not going well in the workplace. Exactly. And um, good employers will be asking, will be doing um, anonymous surveys and, and to find out about what's the culture in the environment and how are people feeling and trying to identify some of those trouble spots and issues. And uh, good employers are also watching the turnover rates. And if there's a manager with an unusually high turnover rate, good employers are investigating because that's expensive. And that's another thing you can do as an employee that gives you a voice is you can talk to HR about how expensive this particular manager is. If you know that 10 people have left in the last year, you, you, know, talk, you know, you tell HR, this person's had 10 people walk out the door in the last year. That is really expensive. And that yeah. will usually get a company to sit up and think. Yeah. Hit them, where, hit them in the money. <laughs> That's the only thing that talks really. It talks the <laughs> loudest rather. How do you think toxic people, bullies, uh, manipulative managers, those who manipulate in a negative way, how do they rise to these positions of management? How do they, how do they continue to climb upwards? Well, I think that number one, the way these types of people act with the people above them is very different than the way these people act with the people who report to them. Right. So it's all smiles and, you know, glad fellow well met, you know, when I'm talking to my boss and I seem like a great guy and I play a good round of golf. And, you know, it's it's a very different relationship with my boss than it is with my employees. And so that's very often how it happens is there's not really a recognition of who this person is, but just a perception of who this person is with me. Right. And they, they don't really then follow up. One of the things that I've experienced in my own corporate career and in my academic career is that the people at, at the CEO vice presidential level don't do enough to manage the managers that report to them. So mm -hmm. people at that middle management level, as long as they're getting the numbers. Oftentimes VPs aren't trying to figure out, are the employees happy working for this person? You know, things have to get really bad right. before a vice president will intercede. And I think part of that is because the personality of the person who is a really good vice president, the visionary and the person who thinks about leading and the person who thinks about the future, they aren't necessarily the best managers. Right. And, uh, but they, they have this very important job of managing the middle management layer. Mm -hmm. And they, in mo I would say in many companies, if not most companies, they don't do it well. Yeah. And so I tried, I mean, I tried to coach upward, right? Cause I had a boss who just wasn't good at this stuff. And I really tried to coach upward and I tried to 
and it it just didn't it never really helped right um because that was a, what he got his he got his job because he was very visionary not because he was a good manager of managers sure and um so i think that's part of it is the relate the difference in the in the perception i think it's second part is that like we saw with with uh, president trump this behavior can work mm-hmm. if you it can work right if you're a charismatic enough guy and you can make people scared enough about you they can see that as a positive tough management thing right and um and oh you can deliver results and i think too many businesses focus on can you deliver results as opposed to will you create a positive environment for employees will right. you create a positive employment brand now i think today in 2020 2021 I think that we have a better realization of the importance of an employment brand because talent has become much scarcer than it was at the turn of the century, right? In 2000, you know, there wasn't really a lot of employment um, talent shortages. Now there's a lot of them. And I think that companies are starting to get more aware that we've got to create environments where people are happy, where people feel um, empowered, where people feel productive. And uh, I think the tide is turning. And I've really seen that as a senior certified professional in HR. I go to the HR conferences and stuff like that. And I'm really seeing more and more that there's a recognition that HR needs to be at the strategy table. Yeah. That HR needs to be considered along with finance, along with marketing, as a key aspect of how do we meet our goals for the future as a company. Yeah. And you got to make sure people feel good. What's the worst you've seen when when management... um, when when there is a toxic environment and people don't feel good, um, obviously it affects productivity, but what's the worst that you've seen in your experience? Um, I've seen it make people physically sick. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen, um, I ha- saw one person, one good friend of mine uh, get stomach cancer. Oh. And I am convinced that the toxic environment that, that he couldn't seem to figure out a way to get out of, um, contributed to that cancer that killed him. Wow. So, you know, I, there's been a, a real a tight link between stress and inflammatory disease, cancer and other kinds of, you know, um, uh, gut problems, you know, gluten tolerance problems, yeah. um, other arthritis, um, other kinds of inflammatory problems. There's a real link between s- stress and inflammation and inflammation is really bad for us. Right. And um, it's really important to take take a, you know, take a health check and identify, could your job be making you sick? Right. Because these emotions, especially when you stuff them, when you when you can't express them and don't feel comfortable expressing them and you stuff those emotions, they then they're toxic internally as well as being toxic externally. Yeah. Right. Wow. So as we end, and you gave some tips about what employees should do, but if an employee feels like the job is something they can't let go of at the moment uh, for financial reasons or whatever, what, what's your best advice to them in order to uh, fear less mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the job or in the environment or in the department that they're in? Sure. You know, because sometimes you just got to keep your head down, right? It's a, it's a pandemic, you can't find, you can't find another, you can't find another gig, or it's taking a while to find another gig. How do you survive? You've given your two weeks notice. 
I don't know about you, but for me, after I give two weeks notice, it is almost impossible to deal with the workplace. Why? Because <laughs> I, I know, know I'm almost like, gone. <laughs> I am out of here. My mind is already gone. I know. I know. Yeah. So here's, here's what I recommend. First off, compartmentalize. You, you're going to have to kind of take your heart and put it, leave it in your car, right? <sighs> you're going to have to just say, I'm going to put my bubble around me and I'm not going to let stuff get through. And it's a very psychological condition of just saying, I'm putting my bubble on, I'm walking in, and I'm just going to let stuff bounce off of me. I'm not going to let it in. I'm not going to let it hurt me. And then having a sounding board, being able to process with somebody is um, your other coping mechanism. And then just making sure you're using healthy coping tactics, exercise, eating well, um, uh, doing things that give you joy. You know, that's another really good. Uh, tactic, uh, finding some creative outlet. Some people uh, might get more involved in their church. Or um, I used to do, I did, uh, got into dog training and went to dog shows and, and showed and did, did that kind of thing. And, and it gave me something to look forward to. So giving yourself little treats to look forward to that are healthy. You don't want to try and manage these situations with alcohol, drugs, or food. Yeah. Right. And it's so you, easy. Can, oh, it's so easy. I the last toxic job when I left when I left my last toxic corporate job, I lost 15 pounds in like six weeks. It just melted off because the stress was gone. Right. And so that food is my drug. Food's my thing. So um, but just being aware that you don't want to pick unhealthy coping. You want to pick healthy coping habits. And I really find that that um, a gratitude, you know daily gratitude reflection, you know, keeping a gratitude journal. And before you go to bed, you're what you're thinking of are the things you're really grateful for in your life. And, uh, and having the connection to friends and to family and to a trusted, um, you know, advisor. And, um, and then just really um, having that thing to look forward to, you know, that today might be shitty, but you know, in two more days, I'm going to get to fill in the blank, yeah. you know? And uh, I found that I got that advice when, um, when my, after my father passed away, I went through a really difficult time. He died very young and, and I went through a difficult time and, and I had a psychologist recommend that to me. Hey, just come up with a, you know, like come up with a list of things that really give you joy that are healthy and things that are 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, couple hours, and then start scheduling them and, and always have something you're looking forward to. And that can pull you through some really bad times. Yeah. And I guess really there's no difference between the virtual work environment as opposed to in person. If it's toxic, it's toxic, right? Yes. Although, and it's funny because you would think, wow, because I've had to have a meeting with, with, uh, you know, a very toxic person on Zoom and I dread it every bit as much as I do if I'm going in in person. Right. Even though I can friggin' turn my camera off if I want to, <laughs> you know, what are they going to do? Um, but, uh, but I don't find that that changes the emotional impact. Right. Any, you know, it's still just as hard to right. have to deal with them. Right. Um, but maybe I can, I, I don't, maybe I don't dread it quite so much because I know it's, it's, I don't have to deal with them physically. I, and as soon as the meeting's over, my contact with them is over. So that's helpful. 
Well, at least you can turn your camera off and roll your eyes. And aunt. I can turn my camera off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which we, we've been doing a lot of in Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's funny how this stuff gets in your head, right? Yeah. 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 Well, this has been such a great talk. Thank you so much, Christy. We have been talking with Dr. Christy Losher. She's a senior lecturer in management at the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. We've been talking about fear in management and how not only it affects productivity, but your entire work environment. So I hope you were able to gain some tips, uh, coping tips, and um, eventually learn how to say fuck fear to your work environment and, and move away from the toxicity. Christy will be back for another episode where we will talk about fear of the narcissist in the workplace. And I'm really looking forward to that one. So for now, thank you for joining us. We will see you next time and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Have a great day.